seven. Uh, I'll go ahead and pass some of these out. Got some pencils. Need some. Want to try? She will give it a try. How about you? All right. Did you get a dud? That's going to cost you a dollar. <laughs> All right. So this is a, a lesson, lesson number seven, a lesson on rewards. And um, just what's interesting about this lesson is when I was studying it last week. Um, kind of the lesson goals and stuff are uh, like, not completely different, but sort of different than what I got out of like the whole subject of what this thing and how it hit me. So it'd be interesting to see what, how it um, hits you guys. So let's go ahead and open up in a word of prayer. Uh, Brother Reader, uh, would you open us up in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you uh, for the opportunity to be here this evening and for the safety getting here and everything. And uh, Lord, now we just pray that you would uh, help us turn our attention to your word and what you're going to do in our lives. Please help uh, Brother John as he leads in the study. The lesson tonight is giving wisdom and just uh, clarity of thought and everything with this. And we ask that you'd be honored and glorified in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So this lesson on rewards kind of um, has to do with um, riches and finances and stuff and having that in its rightful place. Um, but to me, it kind of had a little different turn. Um, so we'll go ahead and get started. As Jesus did many wonderful works during his time on earth, he never failed to take advantage of a teachable moment with his disciples. Such a moment presented itself when a rich when the rich young ruler came to Jesus with a vital question, what did he need to do to have eternal life? He didn't like the answer he got, and Peter and his fellow disciples received another vital piece of their education as Jesus gave a lesson to help with their uh, undesirable attitude of what's in it for me. So, point number 1, the what of riches. The what of riches. And I have the first letter up there for you. It's close. It is a negative thing. That's closer. It's a longer word, an ants word. A N C E at the end. Hindrance. The hindrance of riches. <clears throat> One of the strongest tools in Satan's arsenal has always been the temptation to pursue material wealth. Of course, we need money to take care of our physical needs and meet our responsibilities. We are commanded to take care of our families and pay our bills. Money and possessions are not wrong in themselves, but they are not, uh, they're not to be our main pursuit in life. Uh, it has a little saying here that I thought was really good. Um, I'm sure it's not original, but... 
Money is a good servant, but a horrible master. Keep that in mind. Uh, It's a pretty good way to look at it. Money speaks all things, but it's also the root of all evil. So it's kind of it's a good servant, but a horrible master. Uh, We'll go if we'll go ahead and read around the room. Anybody that can and is willing, Uh, we'll start with Dad. First Timothy, six six through ten. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can bring nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us be there with content. For they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which was some coveted after. While riches can be a hindrance in the Christian life, they can also be a blessing. Solomon was a very rich man. In fact, he was by far the richest man of his day. And if, yeah, kind of interesting if you just think about it. It'd be interesting to take all of his riches, like I wonder if he was the richest man like of all time, you know, it'd be kind of interesting to know that. Um, Sure, when we get to heaven, that'll be the last thing on our mind, but it would be, be interesting to know. Uh, he gained his wealth by keeping his priorities right. As he sought after wisdom, God blessed him with possessions. Second uh, Chronicles 1, 7 through 12. Oh, that one's not in there. Okay, so Second Chronicles 1, 7 through 12 says, In that night God, uh, did God appear unto Solomon, And said unto him, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said unto God, Thou hast showed great mercy unto David my father, and hast made me to reign in his stead. Now, O Lord God, let thy promise unto David my father be established, for thou hast made me king over over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people, for who can judge thy people that is so great? God said to Solomon, Because this was thine heart, and thou hast not asked riches or wealth or honor, nor life of thine enemies, neither yet hast uh, asked long life, but hast asked for wisdom and knowledge for thyself, that thou mayest judge my people over whom I have made thee king. Wisdom and knowledge is granted unto thee, and I will give thee riches and wealth and honor, such such as none of thy kings have had, that have been before thee, neither shall there any after after thee have the like. So I guess that right there says, you know, he probably was, is the richest man of all time. You know, a little side story, I remember being in uh, Miss Tracy Biddle's class, and they were going over the story of Solomon, and she was telling us, you know, that the reason why God blessed him is because, you know, he asked for wisdom, which was... Not quite right, it's because that's where his heart was. So I remember after that Sunday school class, oh God, please give me wisdom. Because <laughs> you know, I really wanted all, because you know, she had like this uh, felt, felt graph, you know, and it had all these gold coins that she was sticking on there. So I was like, whoa, look at all that money. I want wisdom, Lord. <laughs> please give me wisdom. I want all the gold coins. But, so that's, uh, that's got to where it be the start is that we um, really ask uh, that we have the right heart about it. And uh, it'd be interesting 
to see the differentiation of people um, going to seek uh, higher education, so to speak, for the education of it, for more wisdom to do their job better, or is it for the money and see which ones actually come out doing better. Um, anyway, so, so Solomon asked God for wisdom, and God answered by giving him both wisdom and riches. So when Solomon's priorities and desires were right, God blessed him with monetary wealth. When we have our priorities in place as well, we can experience great joy and contentment in the Christian life. So when it comes to finances, we must thank God for his blessings, but also guard our hearts against the wrong spirit that has an unhealthy pursuit of money, uh, can have that unhealthy pursuit of money that, that it can bring. So sub-point A, the rich man was, it's a two, it's a hyphenated two-word. Got the first one right, self, close, um, has to do with him feeling pretty good about himself. R, self-righteous. The rich man was self-righteous. Uh, so kind of paraphrasing uh, what, what he said here, uh, it's like, to get eternal life, I just need to keep the commandments. And I have kept, kept them all my life. Uh, we can imagine that young man probably saying this to Jesus in his own eyes. He thought he was a pretty righteous man. And probably in a lot of people's eyes, he's a very righteous man. Uh, on an, another occasion, Jesus told a story about a proud and pompous Pharisee and a pitiful penitent publican. There could not have been a greater contrast between the two attitudes. And the point of the parable was that the men's destinies were also complete opposites. The first man was the very personification of self-righteousness. And Jesus made it quite clear how he really stood in God's eyes. You guys have Luke 18, 9 through 14? Nope. Ah. So Luke 18, 9 through 14. And he spake this parable unto certain uh, he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as eyes unto, unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Many of our problems are rooted in similar self-righteous attitude. We probably would not stand in church and publicly proclaim our own goodness, but just the same, we sometimes compare ourselves to others and feel good about ourselves. Um, I kind of have that underlined as like how often um, do we judge 
to make ourselves feel better about ourselves or even even in the sense of trying to encourage ourselves in our own way is, is really judging some other people of, I'm not like this. Um, how, how much if we're not like really careful, at least myself personally, can do that. Um, and it's really a root in pretty self-righteous in, in a lot of ways. Um, so th- this kind of whole lesson, the, kind of the turn I've gotten from of it is really a not so much a lesson on rewards as the title um, or on finances or money, but kind of using that whole thing of where our riches and our treasures are of kind of, to me, the whole lesson is a self-scope on our own lives to see what's important to us and where we're actually at in our spiritual life. And that's kind of one of the questions is, is are we self-righteous? Do we have that attitude um, like that um, man in the parable? So 2 Corinthians 10, 12, is that one in there? All right, Brother Reader. For we dare, we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they in measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. All right, Paul wrote, uh, Paul who wrote the words above to the church at Corinthian said this about himself, Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh... If any other man thinketh that he hath uh, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness with, which is in the law, blameless. In a fleshly sense, he had several good reasons to be self-righteous. Uh, but he went on to say, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7-10, through 10, is that in there? Um, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the ex- excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and in the power of his resurrection, and in the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. So Paul's ultimate self-evaluation is this, um, that verse 10 says it all of what his goals are and where his priorities all are, that I may know him and in uh, the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. I kind of looked up the conformable uh, sort of can kind of mean uh, in the Webster. Uh, being made conformable is obedient, uh, can be mean obedient, submissive, disposed, or accustomed to, to conform to what that is acceptable or exerted. Um, so really, Paul is saying, 
my whole goal in life is that I may know him. Not for my own self, but that I might have the power, and not just the power for nothing, but that I may have the power of Christ, that I may be more like him and do what he has uh, allowed me to do, to be obedient and submissive to him um, and his death and his resurrection there. Uh, May we have that attitude and not the self-righteous attitude. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, uh, it says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ, Jesus, came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. So we see Paul, his whole goal is to be made conformable and that he may save sinners and that he's not this amazing man in himself he is he admits that he's the chief of of sinners there one of satan's biggest lies involves convincing people that they are just fine in fact they are doing great the moment that we feel self-righteousness creeping into our lives we must ask god to remind us that in our flesh dwells no good thing uh, referencing Romans 7.18, the church of Laodicea felt comfortable and confident in their riches and goods, but Jesus said they didn't know that they were actually poor and blind. Um, yeah, so this one isn't in there. Revelations chapter 3, 14 and 18 says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith, Uh, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would not, uh, thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked." I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, and that thou mayest be clothed, and the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eyesalve, that thou mayest see. We need to guard ourselves against self-righteousness in realizing uh, that a self-righteous attitude is the opposite of a humble and a contrite heart. Um... D.L. Moody said, you can always tell when a man is a great way from God um, is he is always talking about himself. How good is he? he? Uh, But the moment he sees God by the eye of faith, he is down on his knees like Job. He cries, behold, I am vile. It's another like self-check. How often are we talking about ourselves and what we're doing and um, the things that we do. Uh, are we like um, this man that's far off from God that Dale Moody talks about that you could tell just are we that person that we're always talking about ourselves um, and our things and the things we do, not about Christ and the things that Christ has done through us, um, has done for us. Psalms fifty-one seventeen. Uh, that is not in there. Not, is it in there? 
All right, uh, go ahead and read that one. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, wilt thou not despise. So an illustration here extracts from the diaries of the 19th century Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy, the author of works including War and Peace and Anna Karina. Um, it says, speaking of uh, Leo talking about himself, I have never yet met a single man who is morally as good as I. I do not remember an instance in my life when I was not attracted by what is good and what was not ready to sacrifice anything for it. Why does nobody love me? I'm not a fool, not deformed, not an evil man, not an ignoramus. However you say that, if I'm too ignoramus to pronounce that one. It is incomprehensible. So is there not a correlation between what D.L. Moody talks about and Leo Leo Tolstoy's uh, little assessment about himself there. It's, it's obvious he's a pretty self-righteous person. Um, maybe, just maybe, that's why nobody wanted to be around him. All right, subpoint B. The rich man was... Yes. Selfish. The response of Jesus to the statements of this rich man was really remarkable. Mark's account states, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Uh, the young man had just finished telling Jesus how good he was, but Jesus reacted with love and not with anger or rejection or with a self-righteous attitude of putting somebody in their place, uh, but with love. Additionally, Jesus responded by saying, One thing thou lackest, and told him that he needed to go beyond keeping the commandments, being willing to sell his possessions and give to them to the poor. Uh, he was attempting to demonstrate to this young man that his heart needed to be focused on others, not himself. And that, that really stuck out to me that uh, when it says there in the Bible that Jesus beholding him loved him. It wasn't like to knock him down. It was because he, he loved him. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Should be where there. your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Um, so this is one of the big self-check verses um, that kind of stood out to me in this whole lesson. And it's a very short, simple verse. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Um, it kind of made me think, um, where is my heart? And we'll know by, look, see what we're treasuring, where our treasure is, what, we're, what are we investing in. That should give us a really true look of where our heart is. If we really want our heart to be in the Lord, um, and where you know the Lord wants it, what are we investing in? Our time and our money, our efforts, our thoughts. Um, where is all that investment? That that really, if we're really interested and really brave enough to to look, to ask people that love us, that'll talk to us, 
um, about that will really show us where our heart is. Um, yeah, so it's kind of a, a scary thing to think about. Um, but yeah, maybe we, maybe we look. Yeah, maybe ask somebody. You know, what am I investing my time in, my money in, my thoughts in? Um, and ask ourselves because we we we, we kind of know, but we don't kind of don't really want to admit it or see it. Um, but that would give us a good good idea of where our our heart is because we like to think we're something, but then we actually see what what we think about, spend our time thinking about. It may not be bad things, it may be some good things, but not what we should be focused on. The Apostle Paul stated in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24, let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. We are not to focus on ourselves, but rather on the needs of others. It has been said, if I only live for myself, I can only make a difference for one person. If I live for others, I can make a difference in the lives of millions. Uh, Carrie E. Breck, um, a hymn writer, wrote, Look all around you, find someone in need, help somebody today. Selfish people find that there is no end to what they want, and happiness is always just a little out of reach. Solomon understood that the eyes of man are never satisfied. He found this out because he literally got everything and wanted, and in the end found it worthless. Um, let's see, so Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 4 through 11. That one should be in there. No? Oh, yeah, that's an additional reference. Um, so, yes, Solomon says here, I made me great works, I built up me houses, I planted me vineyards, I made me gardens of or, uh, orchards, and I planted trees in them of every kinds of fruits, I made me pools of water, uh, Therewith, uh, the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house, which I think is kind of an interesting um, brag there. I had servants, babies born in my house. <laughs> I guess that was something back in there. But I also had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasures of kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments, and that of all sorts, I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever my eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do so, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Uh, illustration, at the Munich Conference in 1938, European leaders, uh, headed by the Prime Minister Nevel Chamberlain, avoided war by signing over a section of Czechoslovakia to the German Chancellor, Adolf Hitler, to be incorporated into the German Empire, Czechoslovakia had not been represented at this conference. Germany had already occupied the Rhineland, from which German troops were banned as a result of the uh, treaty ending World War I, and was annexed into the neighboring country of Austria. 
But now he declared, this is the last tutorial claim which I have to make in Europe, says Hitler. Of course, we all have, know how that went. And um, within a year of that, uh, yeah, Hitler invaded Poland and World War II started. So, so the enough was often, well, most of the cases, never enough. Uh, one of the richest men in the world of his day, John D. Rockefeller, was once asked, how much money is enough money? And his famous saying, just a little bit more. One of the most well-known verses in all the scripture is John 3.16, which illustrates the heart of God uh, is in giving. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Will you be a godly person, a growing disciple of Christ, then be a giving person? Subpoint C, the rich man was sorrowful. When challenged to give up his riches for the sake of true righteousness, the young man made his decision, but not without some emotional turmoil. Matthew says he was sorrowful. Mark describes him as sad and grieved. Luke amplifies the description to very sorrowful, along with self-righteous, selfish, sorrowful. One could also call him short-sighted. He literally gave up an eternity in heaven with his Lord for his, uh, his great possessions in life. Later in his life, Solomon also found himself a sorrowful man. As he indulged his every desire and found it, the vanity of vanities. The Apostle Paul warns us that in the last days we need to be on guard against the sin of covetousness. He states in 2 Timothy 3.2, <clears throat> For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous. We live in a world today where selfishness and sorrow is the norm, and those who are good and generous and joyous are pointed out as unusual. And I do think it's interesting just the way the world is moving, and uh, it's just now starting to figure out, just with the internet and Amazon Prime and things of how sometimes devastating to lives that uh, well, what's the term? Instant gratification can be. Uh, you know, it's normally been this good thing, but now they're kind of figuring out, oh, you know what, this is not that great. Um, but how often we will give up a lot for the now and not think about the later. As Pastor Bankhead, his famous little saying was, I don't remember if he was saying it was from a different pastor saying, but he would ask somebody, you know, would they give him five dollars if, you know, he gave him a million dollars in a week? And of course, everybody was yes. Like, well, would you, would you give me all your money for a week if I give you a million dollars at the end of the week? And they would always say yes. And he's like, well, would you chop off your finger for a million dollars in a week? All of them said yes. It's like, so it's like, it's like. Like, there's not a whole lot people would do, but we think of the spiritual life. We give in the physical. We have nothing anyway, but we, how, we try to hang on to it for the huge rewards that the Lord has for us. But um, it's, it's kind of hard to... Um, it's kind of a duh thing, but then it's so hard to do because we are pretty set in our instant gratification sort of things. Um, and it's not the world's fault. 
Um, it's just we're people, and that is what we do, and we're about we're selfish. Uh, so those who dedicate themselves in per pursuing ambitions and riches in this life will find little but sorrow. Uh, those who pursue the presence of God will find true happiness, as the psalmist David wrote in Psalm 16:11. I will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. All right. So these last points are a little quicker. Uh, the first was the big one. So point number two, the, the what of reward. Four-letter word has to do with hope, the hope of reward. In the book Eternity in Their Hearts by Don Richardson, the author states that every civilization he has been able to study is concerned about putting away treasures for the future. The Egyptian pyramids in, in uh, Gaza, or Giza, for instance, um, have repositories deep inside them where buried pharaohs were entombed with gold, silver, wine, and grains to take on to the next life. Instinctively, though they may live as if it were otherwise, people understand there is a future to consider. As with every other matter, God gives us clear guidance on this. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And again it goes... Yeah, back to that verse. Where our, our treasure is, there our, our heart will be also. If our finances are all about this world, our heart will be in the world. If our finances are invested in the things of God, we will undoubtedly be more heavenly minded. Um, and again, it's not all about like a lot of our riches and stuff. It's not just about finances. It's about our, our thoughts and our joys, what we take pleasure in. Um, it, that's a lot of our riches as well, not just finances. Um, so sub-point A, what will we give? Peter states in three gospel accounts that the disciples had left all to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord makes it clear that he understood what the disciples had walked away from. He knew they had left their homes, their families, and their land, their livelihoods. Sometimes we may be tempted to look around us and become discouraged at what we, have, what we may have missed out on because we have chosen to follow the Lord. But we must never forget that an omniscient God is keenly aware of everything we have ever done for our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I think that is funny. We often judge the disciples and like, the Lord knows. You know, you're talking to Jesus. Like, how would he not know what you gave up? Like, but we do the same thing. Exact same thing. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. 
The psalmist Asaph, who struggled to see the goodness of God, got his perceptive back when he went into the house of God. And it's uh, Psalms uh, chapter 73, and there's uh, 20 verses there, 1 through 20. Uh, for sake of time, we won't read all those. Um, let's see. So he goes about and uh, talks about a lot of different things and a lot of things he's going through and about the, the world and what the world's about. And then in the verses 17, uh, he goes on to say, and gets discouraged. In 17, verse 17, it says, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places, thou cast them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. It's talking about how like a lot of worldly, seemingly worldly people prosper and evil uh, prospers monetarily and such. But when you get close to God, you see how vain those things are in the pursuit of that things is is um, as he says, is a slippery place, and there it's going down to destruction. There are many things that we can choose to give. We have many opportunities in the day which we live to give of our time, our talent, and our treasure. The words to the hymn "I Surrender All" by Judge Judson W. Van uh, Deventer: "All to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give." It's much easier to sing than it is to live. But we must understand that God gave and he asked us to give. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus sent his disciples to preach and to heal, but also to give. Um, illustration. Uh, the story is told of a small boy whose parents were trying to teach him how uh, to act in church. As the offertory began, the boy's mother gave him a dollar and asked him to put it in the plate. The boy refused and continued to refuse, and finally the mother gently took the dollar and did it for him. <laughs> the reverent stillness of the church was shattered by the boy's cry of, I want my dollar back. The mortified parents could not uh, quiet him, and the rest of the church tried not to laugh. I want my dollar back. I want my dollar back. After the offering, the preacher stepped to the pulpit and addressed the people. We shouldn't laugh. Maybe he is voicing some of our own feelings. We give, but we do it grudgingly and only out of a sense of obligation. We may not, we may not say it, but some of us think it. I want my dollar back. Subpoint B, what will we gain? That was a good one. After the Lord had talked about what the disciples had sacrificed to follow him, he makes it clear that they were sacrificing something Extremely minimal uh, and modest by comparison, you know, what Pastor Bankhead was talking about. And what the, the gain would be replaced by something that would be beyond their wildest imagination. Christ told them that those who followed him would literally sit upon thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. This is an incredible illustration of the first being the last and the last being first. Let's um, talk about Matthew 20, 16. To go from being um, to uh, intenerate, 
homeless followers of the rejected Messiah to being rulers over the tribes of Israel perfectly illustrates to what it means to sacrifice now and be blessed in the future. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. But as it is written, I have not seen your ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And Isaiah 64, 4. For since the beginning of the world, we have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither have I seen, O God, beside thee, what he has prepared for him that waiteth for him. And Psalms 31, 19. How great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrapped for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. So again, as we look at our lives and uh, where our hearts are, we must admit that God has already been good and generous far above what any of us deserve. After all, if, if God gave us what we really deserved, what would we have and where would we be? And would we like it? Um, we're kind of having this little battle with um, a little man in our family. Of We get in this mood, a little obstinate mood, and we ask something, and we know that he might like it, but he says, no, I don't want it. And, um, and we're like, okay, we'll give you what, you what you want, and that's not actually what he wants. Um, so maybe we think about it that way of where would we be if we actually got what we deserved um, and would we actually like it? So that's what I've been working with with Joe is, do, are you going to like this? And you're probably not going to like this, even though you tell me you are. But, um, but how often are we the same way? We are encouraged to give because God gave first and because it is the way for us to receive. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. As we give, we will find that we cannot outgive God. Uh, another illustration, remember those old-time game shows when the fabulous prize awaited behind door number one or door number two. Door number one or door number two. Uh, in the expression of the delights and um, the MC revealed the wonderful things the lucky contestant had won. Try to imagine, although the Bible says we really can't, what God has in store for us and all because of Jesus. And again, it's... Some of those game shows, it's kind of weird to think, like you see, they win this prize and they open up the other ones and it's like, oh, you, you want a you bass boat. And it's like, but you could have won a yacht and a this and a that. And everyone's like, oh, I can't believe it. It's like, you came away with a bass boat. <laughs> you should be pretty excited about that. But um, Anyway, but how often we get sidetracked uh, by those things. And that's where our goals are. Point number three. The what restoration. This has to do with that verse. The, uh, Jesus says, it has to do with the number you'll receive. Uh, an amount, a hundredfold. You'll receive a hundredfold. As this lesson comes to a close, the Lord makes an amazing statement. Dad's been talking about this, uh, and it's kind of hard to fathom, 
and think about, but that's what the Bible says. So we'll receive a hundredfold for what we had given. This is a return that even the most optimistic investor would not even dream of. Actually, I'm pretty excited about getting 4.9% on my bank account, you know? Uh, you know, a hundred thousand percent would be pretty awesome. The Lord is teaching that if we give, God will give back. He will give back in a much larger measure and in much superior quality. Subpoint A. Um, reward in the what life? Present life. So we'll receive a hundredfold in our even our present life. In both Mark and Luke, the Lord states that we will be re- rewarded in this present life, now in this time, and in this present time, in Mark 10.30 and Luke 18.30. Yes, in the words of the song, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus, but, it makes it cl- but Jesus makes it clear it will be worth it uh, to all now uh, as well, not just when we see Jesus. He said now in this present life. While many rewards of the Christian life are an eternal nature, God takes good care of us now as well as we serve him and put him first. Let's see, John, is that one in there? John 10, 9 through 10, is that one in there? All right. Who are we on? I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find The thief cometh not, but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. All right. And then Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 through 34. I don't see that one. Um, and that talks about the light of the body is, in, is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be uh, full of light. Uh, But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for you either hate the one and love the other, or else you'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Um, It goes on to talk about how... um, Solomon and his, all of his stuff, um, and, you know, all these things that it talks about, like, even the world he seeks after, um, but those are all vanity, and that we should be seeking God's kingdom first, on that uh, famous last verse, or verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto us which if we have our mind and our priorities right, they will just be things to us and not that important. Um, so that's what that, those verses uh, go over. Illustration, we've probably heard of the J.C. Penney store. I know my sisters have. Well, actually, Kohl's is the, the, the bigger one. But... So and I, I'm pretty sure probably most people know that J.C. Penney was a Christian. Um, but do we know about, you know, his backstory? So James Cash Penney was the son of a Baptist pastor in Missouri. 
After graduating from high school, he got a job as a store clerk and did so well within two years, he was being paid 12 times his original salary. Ooh, that's a pretty good pay raise. For health reasons, he moved to Colorado and eventually became a partner in a chain of dry goods store called the Golden Rules Stores. The goal was to make a profit, of course, but if it could only be done with fair values and honest dealings. The business incorporated in 1913 as J.C. and Company Incorporated. Uh, and it has seven basic principles, which are actually pretty interesting and pretty cool to build a business upon. Um, briefly, it's uh, broken down, well, just break it down real briefly, to serve um, and to deal fair, to do all in our power for the customer, uh, to continue to strive to be better and improve um, constantly the human factor in our business to reward um, the people within the organization um, to test, continually test our, our policies and our, um, what does it say, and methods to continue to get better and uh, test it by the standard of does it uh, square with what is right and just. Interestingly enough, Penny did not actually become a Christian until after losing both of his wealth in the Great Depression and just barely saving his company. He overheard a hymn one day that took him back to his childhood, God will take care of you, and gave his life to Christ. He had tried to honor God in his own way through his business, but now rested in the finished work of Christ. After a lifetime spent supporting charities generously, and promoting Christian principles in business, he died in New York City in February 12, 1971, at the age of 95. At that time, there were 1,660 penny store in North America. A quote from J.C. Penney, The assumption that business is secular and the service is religious. I have never been able to accept that line of arbitrary demarcation. It is not service, or is not service a part and parcel of business? It seems to me so. Business is therefore as much religious as it is secular. If we follow the admonition to love God and our neighbors as ourselves, it will lead us to understand that, first of all, success is a matter of the Spirit. And uh, somebody was talking about this a little bit ago of we often separate yeah, business and um, our, um, he says, religion, our religion, but um, really our relationship with the Lord and relationship with others. But really our, our business and our, should all be service. Um, the Lord will bless, will just bless that. And that's pretty much what he's saying here. If we don't put business aside as a thing of making money, but we just do our job to serve others, um, the Lord will bless it. And I wish... I don't think J.C. Penney's is like that anymore, but it's kind of a cool concept and how see, see what the Lord, how he blessed there. All right, last sub-point B, reward in the future life. While assuring Peter and the rest of the disciples that they would not be losers in this life for leaving all and following him, the Lord also taught them that when one chooses him, he receives the most important gift of all, that is eternal life. Illustration here, which is kind of funny, and it's pretty good. 
A man was reminiscing to his son on the occasion of his 15th wedding anniversary. And he says, I didn't have much money and I had to decide between getting a marriage license or a new tire for my car. I think I made the right decision. The tire probably wouldn't have lasted 15 years. God desires that all men would have come to a saving knowledge of him. Uh, Luke 19, verse 10. Second Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And then John 7, 37 through 39 says, In the last day that, <clears throat> that great, in the last day that a, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which that they believed on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. One temptation that uh, all people have in common is the tendency to walk by sight instead of by faith. Um, maybe that's why we have such a hard time about giving what little things we have here for much unfathomable riches that the Lord has for us in, in glory. Uh, but Christ knew it was difficult uh, to relinquish uh, this hold of, of things <clears throat> that we have on the world and to put our trust in Him alone. He stated it is hard to trust in riches Enter, enter into the kingdom of God. In fact, he compared it to the difficulty of a camel would have in passing through the eye of a needle. This was actually a common Jewish expression or proverb for something that was impossible. Um, sadly, money has kept a lot of people away from God and out of heaven. That is why the principle is so clearly taught that we cannot serve both God and money. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and man. But for those who make <clears throat> the right choice, knowing God, loving God, walking with God, serving God, the eternal rewards will be more than fabulous. Matthew twenty-five thirty-four. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, and be blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then Romans 8, verses 16 through 18 further uh, explains, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so that we, be, that we suffer with Him, that we may also, uh, that may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So in conclusion, Christ taught that each of us has a choice as to what we are going to live for. We can choose to live to, to accumulate the treasures of this world, or we can choose to invest in our lives in eternal matters. The rewards of living according to earthly values, much like the scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites of whom Jesus said they have the reward, is that the reward ends when the life ends. The reward of living for eternity, making the choice 
to make whatever earthly sacrifices God calls for us for the sake of his kingdom are bestowed by the Lord both in this life and the next. And we also have the choice to take a look at our, our riches and our, our thoughts and our treasures, what we treasure, um, and see where our heart is. Um, so that is the lesson. And let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Thank you, God, for this day and uh, this evening that you've given us to come uh, just uh, to me uh, not, and to study our own hearts to see how it lines up uh, with you that we may be able to set it uh, upon you because you tell us that the reward is um, exponential I say a hundredfold it's just just insane and just not only in the uh, when we see you but also in this life uh, it'd be it is so dumb not to um, just take you for that and uh, you want to bless us uh, and just may we just uh, just put our our treasures upon um, things above and we just love you, Lord. We need you. Just be with all those that couldn't make it tonight. And um, just help us on our, our way home. Just keep everybody safe. And we love you, Lord. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.